Hey, thank you for tuning in, everybody, to this week's episode. Very excited that you wanted to take the time out of your week to be able to listen to this. Before I get started into our guest, I just want to thank our presenting sponsor, Optimum Nutrition Athletics. We all know that protein is the key to muscle recovery, and best-selling 100% gold standard whey protein provides 24 grams of protein that mixes easily using just a glass and spoon. Gold standard 100% whey is made in their state-of-the-art facility. It's banned substance tested by Informed Choice. And with Optimum Nutrition Athletics program, you can get different products such as their Pro Gainer, which is their Mass Gainer, protein snacks such as the Crisp Bars, Wafers, Cake Bites, and Almonds. And oh my goodness, those Crisp Bars, ooh, are they so good. The vanilla marshmallow one is magnificent. Recently just had the uh, salted toffee one, I believe, is the flavor. That one is wonderful too as well. Big, big fan. And after dominating the sports and nutrition industry for over 30 years, newly created Optimum Nutrition Athletics brings that same trust and quality that knows how to put convenient options for protein in the hands of athletes who desire to become bigger, stronger, and better at their sport. We're talking about the gold standard here, guys. And Dave Harvey of Optimum Nutrition Athletics, his information is down in the show notes. You can quickly email him where he'll get back to you and being able to get the products and get you what you need for your athletes and for your facility. Highly suggest you reach out to him. These are absolutely wonderful products, guys. This is the gold standard. We've all been using it. It's an awesome product, awesome company, and Dave is a wonderful person. I can't thank him enough, and for Optimum Nutrition Athletics for being the uh, sponsor of the podcast. So, guys, make sure you reach out down there. Again, they have easy protein snacks to get into your athletes. I know how tough that can be sometimes. We don't know what's going on outside of the weight room, but, hey, you know that you can get good quality protein to them inside of the weight room with those different options that they have with the crisp wafers and cake bites with Optimum Nutrition Athletics. So again, thank you, Dave Harvey and Optimum Nutrition Athletics for being our sponsor. And now for our guest this week, it is Jeremy Golden. He is the assistant strength and conditioning coach and the head strength and conditioning coach for the University of Virginia women's basketball team. Uh, Jeremy is a longtime veteran of strength and conditioning. This is an awesome episode. We talk about golf. We talk about, you know, just being a coach uh, and his awesome walk-on story, too, as well, when he played football at Tulsa University. So this is an awesome episode. Uh, thank you, for Jeremy, for being our our uh, guest this week. Thank you to our sponsor, Optimum Nutrition Athletics. And make sure you guys uh, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, reach out to our past guest, reach out to Coach Golden, and all of our past guests as well. And everybody, stay strong. Hey, what's up, guys? Strength Talking Shop podcast with an awesome guest this week, uh, Jeremy Golden of Virginia, University of Virginia, uh, women's basketball, strength and conditioning coach. Good morning, Jeremy. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing pretty good. Uh, people obviously don't know this. We just already talked for 30-something plus minutes before the podcast about anything and everything, so I'm super excited to have you on here, man. So, you know, we'll kind of dive in here a little bit. If you look up Jeremy's background, it's, it's very extensive. You know, you've worked with NBA players, WNBA players, college athletes, every sport imaginable. You know, can you kind of talk about like the, just the longevity of your, of your career and all the different sports that you've kind of worked with? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been doing this a long time. Um, I, my first internship was actually back in 2003 at my alma mater, the University of Tulsa. Um, 
And that was a great start for me because I got to work with, uh, I got to work with Pat Ivey, who really taught me a lot about strength and conditioning and taught me a lot about being professional. Yeah. And that whole staff was very professional. And that was a great learning experience and a great kind of springboard for me to just understand what the business is about and understand really that it's more than just about X's and O's. It's about how you communicate. It's about how you treat people because um, he treats people very well. Um, mm -hmm. And that whole staff there um, knows how to treat people, knows how to build not just athletes, but coaches. And that, that was a, a great first start for me was um, just being just a summer there, um, being around that. And then I got full time into it back in 2000, basically 2006 as a GA at Texas El Paso. Mm -hmm. um, and then six months in, I got the chance to go to the NBA Developmental League and I couldn't turn that down back home in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, working um, my first time in pro sports. I wasn't ready. <laughs> You know, I was, I was younger. I think I thought I was ready and maybe from an X's and O standpoint, I knew what to do, but from a communication standpoint and a professionalism standpoint, I had a lot to learn. So those were yeah. great learning experiences for me. Went to the WNBA for a year, back to the D league for a year. Um, then got the chance to go to Colgate, which um, just didn't last long for me there. And that was me personally, just needing something different. And I stepped away from the business for six months and stepped away and just went back home and kind of just evaluated myself and said, is this what I want to do? Do I really want to put myself through what it's going to take to be a coach? And that's the travel. That's yeah. the constant moving, um, being in places where I might not know anybody, you know, being away from friends, being away from family. And I chose I chose to do it. I chose to keep going. And then I got the chance to go to Cornell and I stayed there for six years. And that was a great experience for me because I got to work with, wow. I mean, pretty much every sport you could possibly think of that I would never thought I was going to work with like rowing. I spent six years working with rowing. I spent six years working with both soccer teams, um, working with, I worked with women's hockey for three years there as their head strength coach. Um, which was really cool. Cause I mean, those, those athletes are top notch. I mean, you want to talk about like, um, before we got on, we we're talking about Kobe and Kobe's work ethic and uh -huh. how he approached things. That was that Mamba mentality. They had that they walk in the weight room and you know, it's like, wow, I mean, they were great. I mean, they were all Olympians too. They're all on the Canadian national team. I mean, four or five of them won gold. Um, oh my gosh. So just to see that was a learning experience for me. Um, but just great experiences there. I mean, I inherited a men's soccer team that was one in 15 when I got there. And three years later, we went uh, 15 and two and won the Ivy League title and finished like number 20 in the country. Um, the women's rolling team, when I got there, I always tell this story. I inherit this team and they give me like 60 athletes, 60 women in this weight room. And they're all different levels. I mean, you've got some great athletes and you've got some athletes that should not even be under a bar. I mean, one, one um, woman walks in and she's wearing flip-flops into the weight room. And I'm like, oh, no. Huh? Really? Like, no, this is not okay. This is not what we're trying to do. But they started buying in. It was actually, a, it was a really fun team. It was one of my most fun teams I've ever trained. And they started buying in. And 
you could see them progressively getting better and better. You know, yeah. like 2009, 2010, they were lower, but you could see like, you could see something. 2010, 2011, it started picking up. By 2012, they came in second in the Ivy League and they finished 13th in the country. And wow. it was a, it was just like, like, I got to know them really well. And I went to the NCAA championships one day and they had a bad first race in their first race. It just didn't, they weren't, they weren't clicking. And we got to like, I was watching the second, getting ready to watch the second race. And, you know, they have the TV screens um, cause you're not by the starting uh, line. And like all their parents were like, God, they're not racing well. And they showed them and they're all like fist bumping each other. Like the boat was fist bumping each other. They had that look in their eyes said, they're gonna be just fine. And there it was. And they just, they found a way to like turn it around. So yeah. um, those were great experiences for me at Cornell. Just like, just the amount of athletes I got to train really shaped my philosophy, but it also helped me learn how to communicate with athletes and communicate with people. That's huge. That's the biggest thing. And that's the thing that you talked about in the beginning. Like when you said you took that first job and you don't know if you're necessarily ready for it because you didn't have all those communication things down. Like that's something you t- that I think you learn over time. And it's so, that's why it's so good for, for coaches to go out there and get internships, go volunteer, go talk to people so you can see how they communicate and everything. Because you might see from one coach that they communicate a way that's completely different than you ever communicated before. And, uh, you know, Matt Rhodes has said it before here on this podcast, like 10% of his job is the programming. It's the other 90% is the communication with the sport coaches and the athletes. Like you got to get them on board first before you can start getting them underneath the squat board, get their trust and everything like that, you know? Exactly. It's not just about the X's and O's and it's not about the numbers. It's, it's about the communication and it's about dealing with people because ultimately we're dealing with human beings and everybody's different and not everybody's going to respond the same way. And, and that even goes, that holds true for exercises. I mean, not everybody is going to have a positive response to a certain exercise. And that's why I think it's so important to be very flexible in what you're going to do. Not everybody has to back squat. Not everybody yeah. has to front squat. It's what is going to be best for that person. And if they're, if they're moving their body and they're able to thrive in a certain exercise, I, I stay with it. I mean, I'm not married to any certain exercise. I've, I think I've gotten some slack in the past for that, but that's just, that's just how I approach it. I mean, it's a risk reward to me. Like, yeah. yeah, I can teach a power clean. I can teach anybody to get into a squat, but is it the best thing to do at that point in time? Is it the best use of my time? And sometimes, yes, it is. Sometimes it is right. a really good use of my time. Okay, this team, I want this team to power clean. This is a great exercise for this team. And then other teams, you know, I'm just going to stick to other uh, power exercises where I think they're going to get benefit out of it. I think that's really key. What you said right there is like you built your philosophy over time with trying new different things and not being married to certain things, but being understand, like I have my certain philosophy, I have my set principles. And if it doesn't fit the principle, we don't really necessarily have to do it. Like you said right there, like if they're, if, if we can't power clean, awesome but I'm going to find a different way of being able to get that same response that I want to and everything like that. I think that's just something over time that I think you have to play around with, but also too, it's, it's kind of an ego thing, right? It's, it's, it's fun sometimes to to load the bar up at times like that when your ego says that, but I think it's really important to kind of let that ego go and being like, Hey, we don't need a back squat today. We, you know, maybe we need to do some goblet squats because as you know, this, like, 
the girl that came in with flip-flops or whoever it is, like they are not uh, pro weightlifters. They're pro at their sport, right? That's the main thing. Exactly. And that's one thing that like, and when I say that, that wasn't like, like, that's just something you have to learn about the person. This person was unreal human being and a great athlete. It's like you said, the weight room at that point in time um, was not a priority for them. You know, they were still building, they were still building what they were trying to build. And, um, you know, I mean, I think you've got to meet people halfway and you can't be with an iron fist. I just don't believe that nowadays that works. I don't believe that ever worked. Um, You have to be able to work with people because yeah, they might do what you tell them to do because they quote unquote have to, because you're the coach and they're the athlete. I don't want that. I mean, I always talk about, and I've had people tell me, oh, they don't have to, they don't have to like it. They just have to do it. I'm like, I sort of disagree. They don't have to love it, but they have to at least embrace the process of being in there. Sometimes we don't want to be in there. You know, there's days that none of us really want to go in and train or there's days that there's always things in life that we don't want to do that we know, okay, we have to do this, but how are we going to get the most out of it? If you walk around in life, just like with your head down, checking off boxes, I don't think that's a way to live. And you're not getting the most out of it. You're just trying to get through it. So I want it to be about embracing the process and embracing what we do and, and the why. If they understand the why, everything else becomes that much easier. You just absolutely nailed it on the head with those two last statements of embracing the process and understanding the why, especially with these athletes. They want to know why they're doing something because they want to enjoy it. And I I always love those stories, and I'm sure you've experienced it where, like, the athlete really, you can tell when they walk in, they do not want to be there. Their head is somewhere else. It's with class. It's with school. It's maybe a boyfriend, girlfriend breakup, something like that. But then they leave better after that weight room session with you because you as a coach can understand, like, hey, pull them to the side. Hey, what's going on? You know, like, let's get this figured out and everything. Like, this is where we need you to be at. Let's go and get this work in today. And then we'll take care of everything outside of the weight room. I absolutely love stuff like that. Yeah. And that's just, it's, it's just important that, that they know. I feel like it's important that the weight room. And I think I did something with the, uh, I did a, a little podcast about this and wrote an article about this a while ago about what the role of the weight room I think should be, especially in season. And yeah. it can get really, it can get really low, really fast when you start losing. And I mean, I experienced that last year to a degree because before our season was canceled, we hadn't won a game and yeah. it was getting really low and morale gets really low, really fast. And, and I try to just stay even keel. If we're, if we're undefeated or we haven't won a game, I'm trying not to change who I am because you never want to get too high. You never want to get too low. And I don't want them to look at the weight room as Oh God, now I'm going to go in here and he's going to be upset about the loss. Then I've got to deal with the coaches yelling at me about the loss. And then I got to watch film on this. And then we're going to be in practice for two plus hours. It's a cycle. So let's get the music going. You know, if they want to dance, let them dance. I mean, have fun. Seriously, have fun in there. So let's get the music going. Let's, you know, get a 30 minute lift in, get break a sweat and then go worry about everything else. Exactly. Exactly. 
And there's nothing worse than when you're in one of those sessions where it's exactly what you're talking about, where morale is low, the music's up, but people are lethargic in there. That is a quick, quick way to like lose trust with your athletes, in my opinion. Very yep. quick way. Because after a while, after a while, they're going to be like, hey, he doesn't care about me, really. He just wants to get me, you know, he just wants to grill me, grill me, grill me. And at the end of the day, the trust is, you know, it's going to take a long time for you to earn that trust back and everything like that. And that's where I think you have to give them that autonomy. You have to let them say, hey, it's okay that we, you know, haven't won some games or maybe we've won some games. Like we still, again, it goes back to what you said, still got to embrace the process. Like this is a part of the process if we uh, want to get to where we're going and stuff like that. But, um, you know, what's it kind of been like building that philosophy over time with all the different, because I mean, you've worked with every single sport imaginable. How's, you know, how have you kind of built that over time? Trial and error, I think is the one thing I can say. Um, Just trusting myself too, and trusting that, that um, it's going to work even through the times it didn't work because it didn't work a lot. Um, And then just, but also being honest with myself enough to say, okay, this isn't working for this team. How can I fix this? What can I do? Being very adaptable. I think adaptability is, is a skill we all need to have in any walk of life, no matter what mm. business you're in. And um, I think being adaptable, because we live in ever-changing times. And as we've yeah. seen this past year, um, we have to be willing to adapt ourselves to what the times are. And we have to be honest with ourselves too. Um, sometimes it is our fault. Sometimes we are making mistakes and you need to be accountable enough to say that. Um, and then sometimes you just have to laugh it off, you know, like, okay, this didn't work. And you have to some, also you have to go with it sometimes like in the middle of the session, if you keep changing things, that doesn't look good either. So sometimes, and that's happened to me more times than not. I'm like, I'll, we'll start training. I'll be like, why did I do that? Why did I put that in? Why did I just say that? Can't yeah. change it now. Okay. Let's, let's, let's go with it. Um, but I think being in around so many different sports has really helped me as well. Cause I've been able to work with a lot of different great coaches and uh, I've learned a lot from those coaches as well. Um, I've had very difficult coaches as we've all had, and I've had very supportive coaches and, um, just being able to see it work with different athletes, I think has been great for me. Um, you know, I spent two years as the director of sports performance at Santa Clara, and I worked with women's basketball, volleyball, water polo, women's tennis there, and another just great experience for me. And some of the best people in my life who I still stay in touch with. A lot of the the athletes um, there, I still stay in touch with. A lot of the coaches there, I still stay in touch with. Um, it's that was a great experience for me because I. I was able to really, like, I had to change, I had to shift gears really fast sometimes. You know, I had to go yeah. from a volleyball team that needed something to a women's basketball team that needed something totally different to a women's tennis team that was like, that, that just needed, some, sometimes just needed some attention. You know, yeah. I would like, I'd go out with women's tennis and I, you know, just do ladder drills just to get them warmed up. I would warm them up before practice and say, okay, let's just do some ladder drills and some sprints. But it would be like 20, 25 minutes. And they would compete so hard on the ladder drills just because it was something different. Yeah. And it was it was a lot of fun. And they got so much out of it because it was just it was just 20 minutes away from something that wasn't, 
you know, tennis practice. Right. Exactly. And, and then I, I would joke around with them because I used to coach tennis and I played tennis back in the day. So I'd be like, all right, you give me one serve, I'm going to beat you, which I couldn't, <laughs> but you know, I would talk trash to them. And then it became fun at the, at the end of the year banquet. Cause I, I like to talk trash, even though I can't back it up <laughs> at the end of the year banquet, they, um, they made a shirt with my picture on it that said, I bageled this guy. And if, for people who don't know tennis, bageling means beating 6060. Yep. And they, they thought I was going to kind of be offended. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I loved it so much. See, and that's what I absolutely love is like building upon that relationship with them to the where you guys can have those, that, you know, that, that back and forth, because that makes your job in the end easier, right? It's easier for you to, to figure things out and to say like, whoa, let's, let's not do this this week. Let's do that, you know, this next week and everything like that. Cause you said it perfectly. Like you got to be adaptable and you got to be able to take that extreme ownership over your program. I mean, that's the end of the day in the weight room, what's going on in that weight room is because of you. There are outside factors with sport coaches and whatever else is going on out there. But what happens inside of the weight room, you yep. do have that control over. Take that extreme ownership over it. I think yep. a lot of coaches need to understand that. Like, yes, there are things that are not favorable. You know, obviously we see that right now with a lot of stuff. Like you can't have as many kids in the weight room, whatever it is, right? Own it. Like, all right, we're going to make the best of what this situation is. If you kind of found that too as well, it's like, you know what? We might not have the most time that we have. Let's just make the best of it. Oh yeah. And I mean, in this past year was, was a prime example because just so happened we were getting weight room renovation right when the pandemic started. And because of the pandemic, it slowed down the process. Whereas we were supposed to be in, I think in August, we didn't get in until November. So we had to set up three portable racks. Um, I had three portable racks in, um, in the bowl of our arena and I didn't have a bench. So we had these little boxes that were like very uncomfortable that you could use for bench mm -hmm. and I had some TRXs and some, you know, power block dumbbells and some sliders. And I actually really enjoyed it. We had a great time. Um, yeah. And it felt, it was a little more old school, you know, not a lot we could do, but a lot of pushups, um, a lot of TRX movements. I was still able to squat. I was still able to goblet squat. I had some kettlebells. Um, I was able to do dumbbell benches um, and, you know, a lot of body weight movements and I didn't even have a stability ball. So my, wow. you know, my core movements, I had some med balls, but you make, you, you do, you do the best you can with what you have to work with. And exactly. you don't, you don't get mad. You don't sit, you don't whine or pout and say, Oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. You just, you just got to go with what you got to go with. And if you can have that attitude going in, I think uh, that's where that's where success comes in. Exactly. You always hear those stories of like some of these places, these lifters, where they simply had a barbell, they had some weights, and maybe up to like 20 pounds worth of dumbbells. I don't know. And they get mad, insanely strong just from doing the basic stuff, right? Like, like you, you nailed on the head right there, in my opinion, of like everybody always thinks they need more. It's like, you could get just fine with just the basics if you're creative enough as a coach. Like if you think outside the box of everything, you know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Exactly. You just gotta, you just gotta be willing to be willing to adapt. I mean, I'm going to use the word adaptable again. You gotta be willing to adapt. Yeah, that's for sure, man. Well, I kind of want to go into a little bit, you know, you talked about, we talked before the podcast, big golf fan. Yep. You know, so 
how have you kind of, you know, shaped, you know, you've worked with golfers too in the past, but you know, you golf quite a bit yourself. How have, you know, they kind of intertwined with each other and can you talk about just the, the passion that you have for golf? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, golf is a very, from a golf fitness standpoint, it's a very up and coming world. Um, there's a lot of, and I've had the privilege to really talk to a lot of great people in the golf fitness industry right now. Yeah. And it's, there's so many ways to train and there's so many different ways golfers are training. Um, we touched a little bit about Bryson DeChambeau and yeah. um, love him or hate him. What he's doing is helping golfers buy into strength and conditioning. Whereas 10 years ago, I can't, I can't lift a weight. I'm going to get too big. I'm going to get too stiff. Um, he's helping to show that it's not the case. And I mean, that probably started, I say it started with Gary player many years ago. Um, Tiger who moves the needle, not just in golf, but I think in the world as everybody yeah. saw, um, you know, he posts a picture of himself in crutches and the world goes nuts. Tiger, tiger, yeah. tiger, tiger. Um, I think he really brought a lot of attention to it. Um, I just think we can learn so much from golf. It's such a heavy rotational sport. And I mm -hmm. think we can all, every sport needs to learn certain aspects of rotational training, in my opinion. And because there's anti-rotation, there's anti-extension, there's all those things that, that golfers are focusing on the, that we need to really, I think, incorporate. And I do incorporate in a lot of my programs. One thing I think that uh, got to look at is the way golfers can produce force and produce power. Yes. And um, to me, one of the most explosive movements, I think the stat is used like you recruit like 90% of your major muscle groups in one swing on a drive. And that's ridiculous. And if you think, what do we, what do we say? No more than what five reps on a power exercise, really you yeah. should do. Um, they're hitting maybe the par 72. They're maybe hitting like 30 full swings around. That's ridiculous. That's, That's just ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah. And, and to produce that force they're producing. Um, so I just think we can learn a lot from that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> been able to work with a lot of different golfers, uh, male and female. And, um, you know, some are still playing, some are still playing pro right now. Um, one got to play in the, in the Corrales Punta Cana resort and club championship last year. Yeah. So that was really cool. He, I think he missed the cut by like one shot. Um, but for his first, for his first, uh, taste on the PGA tour, I think that's pretty good. I think, I think he's got, he's got a bright future ahead. So, uh, no, I just think there's, there's a lot you can learn from golf and um, a, a lot you can do with it. And uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of growth in it. And that's what I love about it. We talked about this before the podcast and you talked about when you saw DJ hit, hit a, a tee off shot. Can you talk about that real quick? Cause I think this right here, like encapsulates exactly what you were talking about as far as power. If you've really seen a PGA tour, even like college golfer, like, hit the ball, you realize how much power and strength goes into that. Can you talk about that real quick? Yeah, um, I think it was back in 2016. I was at the old uh, Deutsche Bank Championship. Um, it's something different now. Over at uh, part of the FedEx Cup over in uh, TPC Boston. And I was just walking around. It was a Saturday. And DJ was paired with uh, Jason Day. So it was, a, it was kind of one of those big groups. 
And yeah. I was able to kind of work my way around the course and get to a point where I was right next to him on a drive. And I was right next to him on a, uh, on a putt. I won't say what he said after he missed a putt because it's probably not a, not good for uh, the same public, but I mean, just the intensity was great. But so, gosh, I forget what hole it was, but he tees off and it was just, he had, I think he had bogeyed the previous hole. So he was not real happy and he just let it fly. And it was like, it was like a gunshot. I mean, it was just yeah. pop. And the sound just echoed through the trees. And I just sat there, I was like, did I just see that? And it was such a cool thing to see, to be right there and be like, like you learn just how elite they are. Cause yeah. I think golf is one of those crossover sports where a lot of people play golf and we're like, oh, well, we can do that. We bogeyed a hole too. Well, yeah, we bogeyed a whole lot of course that that most guys, most pros would shoot minus thirty on. You know, yeah. like I think said, if you're a if you're a ten handicap and you play Augusta uh, like Masters ready Augusta, you might shoot ninety five or hundred. That's just how hard that those courses are. Wow. So to see, but to see that, to see the power that they put into that shot, that's when you know there's more into it than just yeah, there's skill because. Let's be honest. They're professional athletes. They have skill. They have a certain skill set that allows them to play at a level that not many can play at. But to know that they have that athleticism behind them and that power behind them. And that's the one thing I say with golf is there's so much athleticism behind, behind what they do. Um, and now it's, now it's coming to light because they're training and their training is being, it being highlighted. Um, and there's a, and there's so many great, um, golf fitness experts out there that are working with these guys that, um, and, and the women too, I think the women that's getting lost too. women's golf, the power that they produce. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Unreal. And watching like, um, I think it was, uh, it was, uh, maybe one of the quarter sisters, but just watching what they do training it's unreal just the athleticism the movement um and the, the force they can produce it's, it's just it's sport you know it's, it's just like any other sport well my thing too is is that you talked about like the power output that they're having on top of that they're having to go walk all that you know all those mileage like that's it is a grueling grueling time you, you go through that for a weekend and you're going to come out of there I mean, you're going to need the strength training because it's just so grueling of a weekend with the endurance that they have to go through as well. Like, and then the mental fatigue too, that's a huge one. And then one thing I like to talk about is the cardio output because they're walking all that way um, up and down hills. And I think one thing they talk about is how like um, how Augusta is so hard to walk because it's so hilly. Then They've got to look over a five foot putt that could mean millions of dollars for them. Ugh. They've got to get their heart rate calmed down very quick. So like we can't do anything in life. If our heart's pounding at 70, 80, 90 beats a minute, like boom, 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 boom. How can we get calm? How can we calm our minds? Yeah, so, that's a true thing. So they have to be able to recover fast to calm their mind, calm their breathing, to make a five foot putt that could mean a first place finish and $2 million 
or a 10th place finish and $200,000. I mean, the pressure around it is so great. I, I just, I find the sport, I find what they, what they do and how they handle the pressure and how they, how they handle the week in and week out grind to be, to be very unique in sports. And I think sports are unique in general. That's why I think we're in it. I mean, yeah, there's such a uniqueness to what athletes can do at every level. And all the different kinds of sports, like, I think when you first get into this, maybe you're a football guy, maybe you're a baseball guy, maybe you're basketball, whatever it is, tennis, whatever, right? But when you start, like, for instance, during the pandemic, we all had so much time to sit there and watch, like, either old sports or whatever it was. But I remember one of the first sports that came back on TV on ESPN was uh, was lacrosse. It was like Major League Lacrosse. I never really watched lacrosse before, but I just sat there in amazement, and I started writing notes down while I'm watching it, like, all these little things that I'm thinking training wise that they have to deal with. And I go, Oh my gosh, like lacrosse would be a nightmare sport for me to have to deal with because there's so many factors that go into it, you know? And I think that's where, if you have that love for sport and you just go out and watch your sport, like I never understood the strength coach that never went and watched the sport that they're actually coaching. Like understand those sports demands and then maybe go watch a different sport and you can kind of steal some stuff and uh and implement that for yourself like what we're talking about with golf that applies to a, a lot of other sports you know oh most definitely and i think uh you know as a strength coach it's really important you don't have to be at every single practice every single yes. game now in my current job i am just because i'm with one team so i'm i'm lucky in that regard where i am at everything yeah um but you don't have to be at everything but you got to be present and the more you can understand the sport, I think the better you can train your athletes and the better you can relate to them on, mm-hmm. on their level too, especially when you're dealing with sports that you may not understand a lot about. Like I did get to work with lacrosse when I was at Cornell and it's a very interesting sport. Yeah. Um, the culture is interesting. The, the physical demands, that's a, that's a hard, that's a hard game. I mean, it, and, and the, from men's lacrosse to women's lacrosse, it's different in the sense that like women's lacrosse isn't quite as physical. They don't let them hit as much, yeah. but the speed component of the women's game is unreal. I, it's unreal. It's unreal. And, and the way they train, the way they attack their training is different too. Like the, the men that was, that was really close to a football team to me. Um, they go, they just, they're, those guys are nuts like in a good way. They're there. They go in, they have fun and they're yeah. just, grind and and the women too but it's a different mindset so that's where i talk about communication it's where you know you're not gonna go in and and communicate with them the same way to a degree but you're gonna learn their sport and it's all about learning their sport and i think that's one thing i learned with hockey too is like like women's hockey they don't they don't allow checks you can't check somebody into the boards whereas men's hockey that's a big part of the game right um but that didn't take away from the physicality of the women's game. I've never seen such physicality as I've seen in a women's hockey game combined with speed, combined with finesse, combined with skill. Um, it was unreal. And that's another sport where you talk about rotation and power. Mm-hmm. Oh, when, they, when, when they hit that puck, like to be on skates and do it, I, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's cool. You see some of these sports that are like really unique. You know, we don't have, you know, here in Missouri, we don't have a lot of lacrosse or hockey or stuff like that. But when you finally get to see those athletes, like 
in person, you go, oh, I understand now why they are a pro athlete or a high level college athlete or whatever it is, because they are extremely athletic. And it's, it's kind of like a hit, a hidden, hidden gem kind of thing where, you know, you only see the basketball and the football players, but it's like these other sportsmen, they've got insane athletes. Oh, it's amazing. It's really amazing to see. And I think um, after I left Cornell, I went to Providence and I helped out a lot with like across there and men's hockey. And I helped with a lot of sports, but my main responsibility was women's basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was fun for me to be able to like take everything I've learned um, from the other sports. Even when I was at Providence, take some exercises that like the men's hockey guy was doing there, the women's or the women's hockey uh, strength coach was doing there and take them to the women's basketball team and be like, let's try this today. Let's try that. And then we did a competition day one day with women's hockey and men and women's basketball. And it was really fun. And it was really, it was a learning experience for me to see, okay, where do I want to get them caught up? Where are we better? Yeah. Be better. So like certain things, like there were certain drills that we were doing that we were just crushing women's hockey. Then we got to sled pulls or sled pushes. And I hadn't had the chance to do a lot of sled pushes with my women's basketball team, the way that women's hockey had done them. because It's a staple of hockey. And they were just so much faster than us on those. And I'm like, okay, so I want to do this. I want to do this. I'm going to carry this over. So just to see like the, the crossover at that point, that was a great learning experience for me as well. And to be able to put the two sports together, two sports that I really right. love. Um, and I had really fun, like I always say, I had really, really fun athletes at Providence. Um, athletes that I still talk to, you know, one's playing for the Serbian national team and we talk oh. quite a bit. She's a just sharpshooter, just an absolute sharpshooter. She actually, she'll hear this and she'll laugh at me that I always say I can outshoot her. <laughs> when she hears this right now, because I'm not a great shooter and She's made sure to tell me that multiple times and she just can shoot from anywhere. She's like Steph Curry range. It's, it's unreal. And then there's another one playing in a playing in Tuscany right now. She's from Italy. And uh, we would talk a lot um, during the pandemic. And I helped her out a little bit during the pandemic because they were, they had their, their rules were stricter than our rules. I mean, they were like locked in. You couldn't even go outside without like a little slip saying you can be outside. So they were just locked in the house. So we got to talking a lot about things and it was, you know, so those experiences have been great, but like, like kind of straight from the point there, but the point was, you know, you can learn so much from these athletes and yep. every sport brings with it something mm-hmm. very unique and they have their own, their own set of skills and their own cultures that are just, that you can learn from. And I like to, I like to take all those and say, wow, you know, a golfer can do this, but a basketball player is unique to doing this. Maybe this set of training can benefit both of them. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. One thing I've picked up from this, uh, Jeremy, is that you can uh, outdrive anybody, you can outshoot anybody, and then you can uh, outserve anybody from this. So <laughs> maybe the most athletic strength coach in the nation. <laughs> you know what? Uh, being delusional is not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I want to dive over into this real quick as we wind down here. When I was preparing for this for this episode, I saw a nice little nugget, and then you added something on top of the nugget. 
was you walked on to become a football player at the University of Tulsa. Mm-hmm. But you had told me before we started recording that you had never actually played football before walking on. Can you kind of talk to me a little bit about that experience? Because I love the stories of walk-ons. Like it is such a struggle when you're a walk-on. You know, I've we've had Matt Rhodes on the podcast, Jim Wendler, and those people, they've talked about their experiences of being a walk-on. Dude, I got to hear about this story of you not ever playing football and then walking on. Yeah. Um, once again, like I said, the mind is a powerful thing. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, football was something that I was always fascinated with as a child. I love football. I grew up watching football. I uh, grew up a big Philadelphia Eagles fan, a big Rambo Cunningham fan, um, yeah. and always wanted to play football. My high school didn't have a team. I'm undersized. I'm 5'5". Five, five. At the time, I was like 125 pounds. And, you know, I'd really never even strength trained in my life. And I'm just like, you know, I'm this dreamer. I'm going to go play football. Look at me. I'm going to, I'm going to go play in the NFL. I'm yeah, I got this. I can do this. You know, yeah. and my first year of college, I, I was, a, I was a sports editor on our student newspaper for all four years. And so I got to be around the game a little bit. And then I said, I'm going to walk on. And I went to one of the coaches at the end of the year. I, I want to walk on and you get the reaction, you know, <laughs> you're expecting to get. Yeah. Well, like I can't let you do it right now. Like, you should have walked on in the spring. And I'm like, oh, he's like, well, that's the time you can learn. We can't protect you in the fall, you know? So I, I got home and I started working with a personal trainer and just trying to like get strong, you know, and understand it. And then spring of my sophomore year of college, I walked on and I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I can look back and be like, what was I doing? Um, I was lucky in the sense that I had a very, very good coach. Name was Dave Rader. He's actually, he's, he's in politics now in, in Tulsa. And this is at the University of Tulsa. Yeah. And very good man, very good coach who said, you can walk on and I'm not going to cut you, but you're going to cut yourself. Like, and that's really oh, wow. what it came down to is, is they were going to cut themselves. Now, I think he would have cut me if I was going to be a danger to myself or others. Right. Um, but then I had really good teammates who took me under their wing and taught me. And it got really hard. And, you know, the training aspect of it was not that hard. It was the weight room. Um, so I felt comfortable in the weight room. I wasn't strong like those guys, yeah. but they didn't care. You know, they just taught me. I was, uh, I was not anywhere near athletically like those guys. Um, I couldn't run. I couldn't jump. I couldn't lift like them. I couldn't play football like them because I'd never done it. Um, and then we get into practice and then the, the mental aspect of the game kicked in learning the terminology, learning how to play the game. What? Like I didn't know what I was doing. And we put the pads on for the, the day before we put the pads on for the first time, I was like, I was overwhelmed. I was like, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't, I can't do this. And then our best receiver, and I will drop his name. He was Wes Caswell, this guy. And he was, he was basically like me height-wise. He was about five, six, but he had athleticism. <laughs> and, he could, <laughs> he could jump, and he was a, an unreal football player. Guy went through, he played six years. Um, yeah. Went through so many injuries. And I'll tell you a funny story about him in a little bit, but 
you know, he pulled me, we're walking back in the dorm. He pulls me aside and he could tell, I was like, my mind was like, my eyes were like, oh, what am I doing? I don't understand this. I don't understand what the slot receiver does. I don't understand what this gap is, what this is. He just says, hey, what do you do here? What do you do here? What do you do here? Like, you got it. It's like, okay. Went out the next day and they didn't really put me in that much because I wasn't ready to get hit. Right. <laughs> and, you know, they put me in a position where anytime I was on the field, the play was going away from me and I was just going to basically go one-on-one against the DB in just a, a little stock block. And, but after that, I felt comfortable. And I started like understanding the game better and made it through the season. Then I started, you know, I started getting through practice, started getting through the season and it became a situation where, you know, I was okay. And I started having fun and I stopped thinking and it was a blast. And that was, that was a really cool thing. And I did end up playing my last game as kind of a Rudy story. Um, and, you know, they put me in and I, you know, I decleated a guy on a block <laughs> and uh, sprung our running back for 20 yards. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of fun during that process. Like, like there was a day where everybody was going to be late. We had a lot of guys late for practice because of classes. Yeah. So for the first 30 minutes, I got to run first team, uh, first team reps. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, no. So and you don't see it at the time because you're thinking, oh, I got to play. I got to play. I'm, I can do it. I can play. I want to, you know, I can do this. I can, you know, and then you realize looking back on it that you did more than you really probably set out to do you more, more than you expected to do. So um, that's just such a cool um, like memory for me that I always look, look fondly on it. Um, you know, I've got some pictures hanging up of me and like the, of like our receiving core and That's it was awesome. just you know it was a lot of fun and I got to meet like so many good people and you know such good teammates that I had and you know to be a part of a, a university like that and we didn't we weren't winning at the time at Tulsa we were not a good team um unfortunately the year after I left um coach did lose his job um and you know it was a lot of staff turnover after that but I mean it was a uh, it was such a cool experience. Um, the last last game of the year, last game that I played, we beat we played Wyoming and we beat them thirty five nothing. And they were, I think, they were bowl eligible if they would have won that game. Oh wow! And it was one of those that nobody knew if he was going to get fi- fired after that game. Like we all thought he was going to get fired after that game, and we just rallied around that. And um, so it was a lot of fun. It was it was a lot of fun for me. And like. Uh, you know, like I said, so many great teammates, so many great people, just a great experience for me to get to. It kind of got me into strength and conditioning because yeah. I went from 5'5", 125 to 5'5", 150. That's in, huge. In, in a matter of of a year or two. And I learned a lot. I had great strength coaches around me, great people around me. And it, that's something that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. I love that story. That story right there just fires me up, man. And the biggest takeaway that I have from it is we talked about this throughout the podcast is you embrace the process and you showed up every single day. I think showing up, uh, I've had Josh Bonital on here before he's talked about it. I'll say it again. Showing up is a skill. If you show up, good things will happen. Um, so man, I appreciate you sharing that story with us, Jeremy. Um, as we wind down here, 
you know, if people want to reach out to you, they reach out either on social media. How can they, how can they find you? Yeah. Um, my email is on the Virginia website. So you can reach okay. out anytime social media. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, J underscore golden 85, uh, same as Instagram. Um, and, um, yeah, that's, I, Twitter's probably the, the social media I'm on the most Twitter and Instagram okay. and yeah, no, reach out to me anytime. I, I love to connect with people. Um, and yeah, I got, I've got a lot of exciting things that I'm working on behind the scenes that, uh, I'm excited to share in the, in the future as well. So um, I really appreciate you having me on. This has been great. Oh man, this has been absolutely wonderful. Pro I mean, one of my favorite episodes that I've had so far is just learn from somebody and everything like that. I appreciate you being on and people um, I'll go ahead and plug it here for you too, Jeremy. You've got a lot of great articles out there too, as well. I think that a lot of people could take a lot of value from you've been on a lot of other podcasts too, as well. I think you're a great speaker, man. So thank you so much for being on this week. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, hey, everybody, make sure you reach out to Jeremy, find him on his social media, go read his articles, go listen to him on all the podcasts and everybody stay strong.